Hi, this is Yara Stark and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today on the line with me, I have a very special guest who I'm excited to interview because he's done something that I think a lot of people would love to do. He's reached a point where he separated himself from his business um, and he calls himself a virtual CEO. Now, it's no small business either. He actually has uh, 300 employees, so it is a hefty-sized company that is uh, doing big business, but uh, most of his job nowadays is actually uh, starting new businesses, which I think as an entrepreneur is something we all love doing. So I'm looking forward to delving into the background of tonight's guest, which is Chris Ducker. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Yara. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I I need to know a little bit more about uh, this company of yours right now before we look into your background. Um, You know, is this something that started from nothing and then you slowly built up yourself? Like, how did you get to 300 employees? Uh, With a lot of headaches. Uh, (laughs) It was, um, it it has been something that has gradually progressed um, over the last five years or so. We started out with seven employees and we're, we're in the outsourcing industry. We're an outsourcing service provider uh, based here in the Philippines. So we, we started with seven employees. Two of them were myself and my wife. So we had five real employees, if you want to call it that. And um, yeah, by the end of the first year, we were up to about 70. The second year, we had uh, gone to about 100 or so. Uh, we're now sitting at just over 300 five years later. So it's, it's been a very slow, gradual growth. There were a couple of little spurts, uh, but on, f- for the most part, it's been nice and slow and steady, which I, I prefer. I'd rather be growing like that over a period of years than sort of having massive growth spurts. It would scare me a little bit. I think our definition of slow and steady might be different, Chris. I don't know if 70 employees in one year and then, you know, 100, 300 <laughs> is, is my idea of slow growth. But you sound calm and collected like, you know, this is normal. So let's... Well, it, you know, it, it is actually quite slow for this industry. For the outsourcing industry here in the Philippines, it's quite slow. I mean, I, I believe the largest company over here has something like 10,000 employees, which is a U.S. outsourcing company based here in the Philippines. So, I mean, you know, there are some I – mean, we, we would class ourselves at 300 employees. We class ourselves at a medium-sized outsourcing company. There's a lot of little small ones which don't really survive all that long, quite frankly. Um, but there are some very, very big ones as well, you know, several thousand employees. So, yeah, it, it, it might sound a little larger than you'd be happy with or comfortable with, but for us it's still over here in this industry anyway. It's, it's relatively small. Okay, well, I guess everything's relative, right? So That's it. Uh, now, you came to my attention through uh, several people, actually. Uh, there was Gideon Shalwick, who you've interviewed before, uh, mm-hmm. and there's Pat Flynn, who recently um, used your services to find himself a virtual assistant. And I, it's safe to say that I've known you as a guy who helps internet marketers in particular get themselves mm-hmm. uh, some you know, virtual assistants, uh, you know, an outsourcer who does various tasks for them as an online entrepreneur. Now, I'd like to know, though, a little bit more about your background um, before we reach the point where you are today. We know you've obviously got a, a successful company, but... Have you always been an entrepreneur? Did you go to university? Um, you, you have an accent, so you might be living in the Philippines now, but you haven't always been there. Can you take us back to maybe you know, your, you've graduated high school or your first business or something like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I did not go to university. Um, I did further education in the UK. Um, and by the time I was 18, I was on the telephone working part-time 
during the daytime uh, doing telemarketing for a local classified uh, magazine. Um, I was tending bar and mixing cocktails, uh, doing my best to try and, you know, be as uh, handsome, as sexy as Tom Cruise in, in, in his uh, cocktail movie. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really um, – it was in my sort of very early 20s where I got employed – by at that point in London, a relatively fresh young publishing company, um, and uh, they were based in a very corporate environment where they were focusing on corporate workwear and and things like that. And that company got bought out by a, a much larger company in the city of London uh, called Hemmings International, who I then went to work with for a couple of years. But that that entire sort of period in time was about six seven years or so. Within that time, I knew that I had that entrepreneurial streak in me. I, I was, I was, uh, and I haven't mentioned this actually on uh, many interviews that I've done before, but uh, I, I, I'm a huge Hong Kong movie fan, or I was a huge Hong Kong movie fan. I used to love all the Jackie Chan, the Jet Li, and the Bruce Lee, and all those guys and everything. And so what I did when I, I think it was around 96 or so, I started my first ever, what I would class as my real first ever entrepreneurial venture. And that was I published, being that I had some publishing background and some contacts and things like that, I published a magazine that was aimed towards enthusiasts of Hong Kong cinema. And uh, at the time in the UK, there were a couple of people doing kind of similar stuff, but I took it to the next level. And in 2000, uh, sorry, in 1997, uh, I flew to Hong Kong with a video camera a bunch of calling cards and uh, a, a return ticket for 10 days later. And my intention was to basically just go knocking on the door of all of the film companies asking whether I could interview anyone. And obviously there were some names that I went after particularly, uh, but ultimately I went out and, and within 10 days or so I had interviewed around eight or nine people. Some were actors and actresses, some were editors or producers. And I had a Chinese person with me who was doing a lot of translation, but a lot of the interviews were actually done in English. And so I brought that home and that gave me content not only for the magazine in terms of quote-unquote exclusive interviews, but then I also put together a video documentary, uh, which I called Hong Kong Superstars, which led me to come back to Asia more and more and more. And, um, yeah, that, that was the entrepreneurial bug. That's where it all happened. I ended up selling that magazine to a company who ended up doing absolutely nothing with it, uh, which, which I, to this day – I know. To, to this day, I still cannot figure out why they offered me the money that they did. But trust me, after doing it for just three years, it was a good enough amount of money for me to say, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, I sold it. I was apparently going to stay on as editor at a magazine for a couple of years, but one thing led to another, and they never did anything with it. So that kind of ended that period. And at the same time, I was still working full-time. I still had my, uh, you know, my, my full-time career job, whatever you want to call it. And uh, there was a couple of personal changes in my life. I lost my mom. Uh, I went through a very uh, horrible divorce. I got married very young and went through a horrible divorce and ended up coming out to the Philippines to work for one of the large banks over here to train their telemarketing outfit. And that's what brought me to the Philippines 12 years ago. Okay. I, I just have to know because of a personal curiosity, a little bit more about this magazine, because I love <laughs> the publishing industry. I've loved magazines ever since I collected, uh, you know, video game magazines during the Nintendo and Sega era before we had all right. these newfangled PlayStations and 
so forth. Um, and, you know, I, I run a website today that's a, like an online magazine, but it's a lot easier than publishing a print magazine. And a print oh, yeah. magazine is like, I think they're beautiful. I think it's one of the most wonderful forms of media we have, and it still is today, I think. Uh, how did you do that as like, a young guy? Did you do, was it one person? Did you just sort of have a word processor and you typed it up and printed it out and then handed it out? Did you have distribution? How did you do that? Well, actually, when we first started, it was very much along the lines of a bit of a fanzine. And it, I think, God, I can't remember. What computer did I have? I can't, I can't even remember what I had. I think it was a, a crummy Acer PC, you know, the thing, you know, ran at a very slow speed and, you know. Like it, a 386 it, or something back in that I, time. Yeah, yeah, literally, you know. And, you know, I had a dial-up account. I built my first website to help promote the magazine. And, um it gained some popularity, and uh, I, I was I was lucky. I mean, it, it was tough. The printing side of it actually wasn't that hard. It was the actual putting the magazine together. And once we went from fanzine, and what it was actually, we used to print it out and photocopy it. And, you know, I used to just give them away at film fairs and stuff like that to begin with. And, and then I started uh, going up a notch, and we ended up doing like a multi-page uh, a5 color um fanzine which was printed on nice paper it was very thin but it was nice glossy paper and it was color and there was lots of cool photos from the movies that i would get you know my friend over in hong kong to ship over that you couldn't see anywhere else and all that sort of stuff so it was cool and it just grabbed people's attention and the difference between doing that and doing the full-blown magazine the type of magazine that you see on the shelves and we went to about i believe six or seven issues now it was every it was published every other month. So there were six episodes, in, uh, sorry, six uh, issues in a year. I think we, we went a whole year or a year and a bit um, with doing that sort of full-size magazine. The printing side of it wasn't tough because I had a lot of contacts within that industry. So I just called on a few buddies, got people out to dinners a couple of times and got the deals I needed to do uh, to be able to print it, you know, at, at the price where I could make money on subscriptions and things like that. The tough part was filling it quite frankly were content and at that point i couldn't do it myself anymore so uh, i went through the classifieds of some martial arts magazines back in the uk to see if anybody was selling movies and it was you know it was real heavy on the bootleg side of things back in those days and things like that so there was always film enthusiasts that were you know just blatantly pirating films and getting them out there and you know for five pounds here and ten pounds there and uncut bruce lee films and all that sort of stuff so it was it was relatively easy to find people that were enthusiastic about the movies um and then you know i was able to convince a handful of them to write a few articles and uh, yeah it just it was it was just one of those things where you know we would collate everything together send it across in a fedex package in regards to all of the uh the images and everything that needed to be scanned and um it would get to a designer he'd put it together and uh we'd get the printed issue and it was so cool to be able to get that box you know that first box with with the new issue i used to love opening up that box and seeing the new issue it was great i can imagine that would be a lot of fun uh, talk about a tough business though to cut, oh yeah cut your teeth on that one that's that's challenging Okay, so you, you found yourself in the Philippines after some tough experiences in your life, and uh, mm -hmm. you're still an employee. You see, you're, you're helping with telemarketing for an American yep. company operating a telemarketing base in the Philippines. Is that right? Uh, it was actually for um, a bank that was based out of England that so had England. a presence here. Yeah, but yeah, fundamentally, you're right, yeah. 
So, what? How did like you obviously fell in love with the place because you didn't leave, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, it, I I I think when I first came here, I didn't think that I would be here twelve years later. I figured I do. You know, I knew after a few weeks that I liked the place and it was cool and everyone was so friendly and everything was just so darn cheap compared to back in London. Um, and you know, you'd go out and have a great time and I was a newly single guy and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was cool, you know, and I, I lived, I lived a great, you know, kind of single guy, kind of bachelor lifestyle for a couple of years or so. And, uh, and then I met my, the lady who was going to be my wife and that kind of just turned it around at that point. I figured, well, uh, you know, if I'm going to, I mean, I'm getting married to this lass, so I better start looking at doing something a little bit more than just being an employee. So that's when the entrepreneurial blood started kicking in. I used to do a little bit of um, consulting work here and there as well uh, in regards to marketing and branding and stuff like that because I had all that background with the publishing side of things. So, um, yeah, it just, it just sort of – everything kind of just fell in place five or six years ago, and, and we started the Live to Sell group, and uh, the rest is a little bit of history, as they say. The Live to Sell group, what, what's that? Well, the Live to Sell group is the group of companies that I now own. Uh, we started off with just literally Live to Sell Inc. So Live to Sell Inc. Was, uh, was basically an outbound telemarketing consulting company. So we would work with predominantly U.S.-based companies, a little bit in Australia, a little bit in the U.K., but mostly in the U.S. And we, you know, we'd, we'd be that foot through the door. So you know, we would uh, do a little bit of lead generation or some, uh, you know, some appointment setting or database cleansing. And we still do all that stuff now as well. But there are also other companies under that group umbrella now where we have the Virtual Star Finder, uh, which is uh, where we hook up uh, busy entrepreneurs and online marketers and bloggers and things like that with home-based virtual assistants here in the Philippines, which I believe is the service that you referred to in regards from Gideon and Pat using them before. Um, and then we also have yourwebpa.com, which provides um, project-based outsourcing such as ebook design and SEO services, uh, article writing, niche site creation, and that sort of stuff as well. So it, it sounds like you've really leveraged your uh, location because being in the Philippines, you know, everyone nowadays is outsourcing to the Philippines. Uh, yeah. You were in a great position geographically to, to gain from that. But that, that's, that's not like the, the be-all, end-all answer to having a successful business. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you went from, let's say, quitting your employment as uh, a person working for the bank in the UK to starting your own business? Did, was it... Was there an overlap where you were doing both at the same time or you just one day decided to quit and then start something new? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd actually done a little bit of work as a consultant for a company that was based out of Miami uh, for about six months or so. How did that even happen? Well, that came about, I was involved um, locally here with a, well, not involved, but I was, I was friends with a guy here locally who owned a uh, DRTV company. So the direct response, you know, you see the, the infomercials selling all types of crap, you know, at like three in the morning sort of thing. So he would, he would, he would fundamentally, you know, either source or invent these, if you could call them products, some of them were a little ridiculous, but then shoot the, shoot the, you know, the, the, the infomercials here, right here in the Philippines. Edit them all together right here in the Philippines. And then he would go out to all the big conferences around uh, the world and tout them to distributors in different countries all around the world. So there was two or three major industry conferences, and he knew I was a pretty half-decent sales guy. So he said, look, I'm going to Vegas. There's a big conference. 
why don't you come over? You can put on a T-shirt, get behind the booth, and see whether you can sell some of this stuff with me. I'll pay for your flight, pay for your hotel, pay for your gamble a little bit. We'll have some fun. Why don't you just come over, spend a week with me in Vegas, and we'll see what happens. So that's exactly what I did. I figured, hey, you know, it's a free trip. It's Vegas. Let's do it. So we went over. You were and I ended up. were you? No, I wasn't married at that point. Okay. No, <laughs> more appealing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I go over to Vegas. I write about quarter of a million's worth, of, quarter million worth of dollars uh, of, of business uh, within a three-day period for him, which sounds like a lot, but he wrote about half a million. But he was more than happy with that. And whilst there, I met a guy who owned a company based out of Miami in Florida, and we just stayed in touch. He's an older guy, but we kind of just hit it off. Um, and unknowingly, he was also in the process of looking to try and kind of revamp his brand and his marketing a little bit. So he hired me as a consultant a couple of months later, and I worked with him pretty exclusively in terms of consulting uh, for about six months or so, but I learned so much from this guy, but unfortunately, so much negative stuff. I learned how not to market, how I learned how not to rebrand. I learned how not to run a company, how not to treat employees, how not to take care of people that were helping you make millions of dollars every year and all this sort of stuff. He was a super nice guy, but he was a real a-hole of a guy to work for. And um, what I did, I I leveraged the opportunity where I was making some very good money with him on a month-to-month basis in terms of retainer as well as a little bit of commission. I then started off Lift to Sell, very small. At the beginning, we had enough room for about 30 employees in the office. We had seven people that we began with. Um, And uh, I, I, I was with him for another couple of months, and then I ended that relationship to focus entirely on Lift to Sell so that I could really take it up to the next level. So that's, uh, you know, to answer your question in a roundabout, horribly long way, uh, I hope your listeners are still tuned in. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I went from being, quote-unquote, an employee to being a full-blown entrepreneur and just focusing on my own stuff. It sounds to me like the idea of hiring people, and I don't know, I don't know if it's because you're in the Philippines or not, it seems less daunting the way you say it, just because yeah, we started off with five people, you know, like you know, you went from being an employee to instantly having people working for you, and for a lot of people working online, they never get employees. They might have some contractors. I'm certainly the case. I'm still yet to have a full time employee uh, on salary. Um, that uh, that's daunting. It's it's usually a case of cash flow being an issue because you you have salaries to pay. So if you're not bringing in money. How did you juggle this? Did you build up some capital first so you had some savings in case things didn't work? Was What was the plan? I did have savings. Um, like I said, I, I was paid quite handsomely um, to do what I was doing for this guy. I mean, I'm not, we're not talking millions of dollars or anything like that, but I had a little bit of money saved up, and uh, I also brought on board a silent partner so I wouldn't have to pay for everything right up the front. Um, and uh, I ended up paying him what he had invested back within the first 18 months. So he was then kind of out of the picture. He got a nice golden handshake from the partnership and everything. But I, you know, I knew pretty solidly that it was all going to be down to me. Um, so I didn't want to end up giving him 50% of the profits forever. So before it got too big and too successful, 
I ended that relationship in a nice way and everything. For him, he he was never really interested in the growth of the company or getting involved in the operations of it or anything like that. For him, it's purely just coming on board to make some cash. So I gave him a lump sum. He got out of it. And and from about two years onwards, it was nothing but but me. But it was funny. I mean, and it, it, it it's funny how you mentioned like one minute you're an employee, the next minute you're an employer. It really did happen like that because the way that I ended things with um, the guy that I was doing some work with in Miami was I was actually in Miami whilst they were building out the office here in the Philippines. And I ended up, it was all nice and, uh, you know, everything was cool and everything. I, I, you know, we didn't sort of shout and scream at each other or anything like that. But fact of the matter is I flew from Miami, landed in the Philippines on a Friday and then on a Monday, I was doing interviews to hire the first batch of staff. Okay, so <laughs> I'm seeing there, obviously, there's a connection between the consulting you were doing for this fellow being a nice sort of kickstart to yeah. business. But yeah. that, that, there's a big difference between consulting here and there and then hiring people. I mean, I know there's so much to study about how to find good people and and now you're in charge of 300 people. Like, how have you gone about this process of, I believe, rapidly hiring people and um, growing a business? I, I should actually clarify, how, what year are we in when you actually started doing this hiring? Um, it was 2007. Okay, so it's 2012 now, just January, and you've yep. got 300 employees. So within five mm-hmm. years, you've gone from nothing in terms of employees to 300. <laughs> Uh, and you know, to be honest, it didn't sound like you have a ton of like experience running a fairly hefty sized business before you started this one, which has grown rapidly in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get lucky? What's all this, uh, what's naturally well, confident? Where's all this coming well, from, I, Chris? <laughs> I, I think, well, I think confidence plays a big part of it and I certainly didn't start it for it to remain small. I can tell you that right now because I'd been in, involved in the outsourcing industry for some time here in the Philippines um, and I'd seen the boom that the outsourcing industry had experienced in the country and it is very much now the destination of choice for pretty much anything and everything in the outsourcing game. So I knew full well when I started with just you know the room for 30-odd people that I would easily be able to grow the company. Did I think it would grow as large as it is now today, no, uh, I certainly did not. Um, but you know what? You get a couple of – and it is, there's always an element of luck involved, I, I believe. If there's anyone out there that says that there isn't with what they've done to become successful, I think they're just blatantly lying to themselves because it has to be an element of luck because the two or three clients that grew with me wouldn't have grown with me. You know, they, they could have they could have – decided to grow and grow somewhere else and make someone else's company grow and flourish. But they decided to go with us. And I believe that's a little bit of luck. You know, out of all the websites in the world, they decided to send an inquiry from my contact form on my company's website. They probably sent it to a few others as well. Maybe, yes, I did convince them a little bit. I did a little salesman on them and all that sort of stuff. But you know, yes, there was certainly an element of luck in there. Um, but, you know, my, my old man used to say to me, if you work hard, you'll never have to worry about work. And that kind of has that little bit of an employee mentality in there. But 
everything I've done, both as an employee in the past and now as a boss, I do with that, you know, kind of adage in the back of my head all the time because I still work my ass off now today. I work very, very hard. Um, And I don't look at having 300 employees. I look at fundamentally supporting 300 families. So I take that responsibility not lightly in any way, shape, or form. So I guess, yes, there's definitely confidence in there. I knew that we could grow if I worked hard on it. I had some great help with the wife, believe it or not. Uh, you know, there's a saying out there you shouldn't work with, uh, what is it, children, animals, and wives. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I kind of risked it a little bit on that one, but she's great. She certainly helped me get it to where we are. I wouldn't be able to do it without her. And, um, yeah, I, I guess it's just been a combination of all those things kind of just align nicely and a little bit of luck, man. I mean, you've got to have some luck. You just have to. Okay, well, it sounds like you're pretty good at two things, Chris, if I listen to this. You're good at getting clients and you're good at hiring good people. Yes. So given those two things in mind, can you maybe take us through the from this starting point, your, your office with space for 30 but five initial employees, two of them being you and your wife, correct? Mm-hmm, Correct. Take us from that, and how did you get your next bunch of clients as well as how did you you know, manage the, the need to hire employees? There's a juggle there. There's got to be a balance, right, because your cash flow needs to work out so that when you get a new client, you've got the staff to service them, but you don't hire the staff before you got the cash from the new clients. Correct. correct. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and the outsourcing industry – you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can pay for outsourced services. We decided very early on, actually after losing a little bit of money, not a lot, but we decided very early on that we were going to pre, or we were going to charge our clients in advance for their, you know, for the work that we were going to do for them. So we would we would charge a month in advance every single month. So let's say new client comes on board, ten employees required for a telemarketing campaign. We invoice that client, we sign contracts, the money comes through to our bank. At that point, we hire. So we're not actually employing anyone until there's work for them to do. And that is still the case today, to this day. How can that work given, you know, you, you must have an amazing hiring process to get good people. Or is this, or have you got a great system now? Because, I mean, telemarketing, in, in my knowledge, requires... You know, unique scripts for the, the, the service that you're selling or the product that you're selling, uh, a training process for those employees to learn how they're supposed to interact and, you know, not a simple process. How have you managed to do that? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've been in and around or on the telephone my entire career. So in terms of the scripts and things like that, nine times out of ten, the clients will actually have scripts in place if they need telemarketing done or even, you know, we do a lot of customer service and, you know, other types of support services like chat support and things like that nowadays as well. But um, ultimately, you know, I can help people tweak their scripts and things like that as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the training, you know, in terms of the recruitment side of things, we made mistakes. Of course we did. You know, there's no way that you can, you know, grow a successful company, I feel, without dropping the ball a few times and learning by those mistakes. So we certainly did. We certainly hired some bad apples, uh, which, um, you know, put a few spanners in the works and things like that, but we got rid of them and we rehired and we tweaked our hiring process, our recruiting process. I now have a team of about 10 in terms of my human resources department who are consistently interviewing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, You know, working for our company here in Cebu City in the Philippines is a 
it's an aspiration for a lot of call center people because a lot of call centers here, you know, they have swing shifts, there's that graveyard shift, then two weeks later they're working during the daytime and stuff like that. And there's a number of things that we do that enables us to attract the right people without any major headaches. Um, and we're known as a very, very good employer here locally. So we don't, we don't have a big problem finding people nowadays. Back then, we didn't have that reputation. So it was just a, it was a numbers game. You know, we'd interview 100 people, we'd hire 30, we'd train that 30, and out of that 30, we'd put 10 people on that campaign. That sounds a lot of so work, was, though. Like, how, how oh, a hell of a lot of work. Hell of a lot of work. But you know what? I had a lot of good help. So, you know, one thing I have been able to do is hire really good quality upper and middle management. For some reason, I've been able to get lucky on that. Um, and I have some great people to this day now still working. Some people have been with me for, you know, four years. You know, that first year was really a big learning curve. But since, since you know, our, our, our first birthday and onwards, um, I've been very lucky with hiring the right people and taking care of them and making sure that they're trained and developed properly and things like that. And, and that goes right the way up to my COO, who is an American, who I hired um, at the uh, beginning of last year to come and join us. And he now fundamentally runs the company on a day-to-day basis. I'm still involved in the, the, you know, the growth strategies and, and the, the marketing and the sales side of things uh, to a certain extent, but he fundamentally runs a company now. Okay, so it, it's, it sounds like a wild ride. I have to admit, you know, it would have been interesting <laughs> to see that first year in particular. I can only imagine you... You get a, a client who suddenly says, we need 10 people, and then you go, okay, let's go find 10 people. We just billed the guy for a month's worth of fees. We've right. taken their money. We have to deliver a service, and you probably had a deadline. Like he wants people to start making oh, yeah. phone calls oh, or, yeah. or doing chat by this time right. frame. And you've got no one. You've got an, an office with chairs and, and desks, right, Ray, to, to have yep. these people do the job. But you don't have people. I mean, that's pretty scary. <laughs> it is pretty scary. But you know what? The, the thing is, in this country – The outsourcing industry and the call center industry is the number one fastest growing industry anywhere in the country. It doesn't matter what city you're in. And we're in Cebu City, which is the fastest growing economy in terms of an economic zone here. There's been more hotels, more office buildings, more, you know, restaurants and everything built in the last seven, eight years than they have done anywhere else in the country in terms of, you know, square footage, if you know what I mean, geographically. So, Working for an outsourcing company, or you know, or a BPO or a business process outsourcing company, as they're known a lot more here. Uh, working for a BPO company is really—it's a given. Like people want to come and work here. We pay better than most local companies. We have better benefits. Um, it's just a better working environment. You get the opportunity to be trained by you know not only fantastic local talent but also foreign talent as well and a lot of local companies can't offer that stuff Um, and not only that you know take an industry such as nursing there are hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of new nurses graduating every single year here in the philippines that's a fact thousands of them well all, all around the country but a lot of them once they get that that degree and that nursing degree they realize that it's not all cut out to, you know, they're not really cut out to be a nurse. You know, they, they get a job in a local hospital, they work 14-hour days, they only get one day off a week, and at the end of it, they've only got the equivalent of $150 US in their pocket after taxes for a month. Nice. So you, you look at that, or you can come and work at a call center or an outsourcing company such as mine, make three times that amount, 
and only work eight hours a day and have you Saturday and Sunday free. It's kind of a no-brainer. So I would, I would have thought out of 300 people working for me, I reckon about 30% of them are probably nurses, and I'm being deadly serious. <laughs> deadly serious. You could start a, a medical outsourcing service pretty quickly then, couldn't you? We could do that. We could start that up pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'd like to talk about your other projects too, Chris, but before I do that, I'm just a little curious about the marketing side of things as well. You, you, I, mm-hmm. I, I get the picture of how you get people. It sounds like it's a bit of hard work, you know, great environment, good managers, um, but tell us, how did you get clients keep coming in the door? Because you're obviously in the Philippines, but you're hiring, sorry, not hiring, you're taking on clients from, mm-hmm. I'm assuming more so America, but you're not there. So you must be relying on oh. online marketing more than anything, or are you actually doing some telemarketing to bring in telemarketing customers? We, um, we, we have a very small internal telemarketing team of three people. Um, they work very, very specific lists, usually created. I'm not going to give too many of my secrets here in case one of my competitors comes across this, but they're usually created um, from things like conferences and uh, publication databases and things like that that I can, you know, get my hands on. Um, but ultimately, probably something like, and I'm not exaggerating here, 80% of the inquiries that turn into clients come from our online activities. So we, uh, you know, we do a lot of SEO. It's a highly, highly competitive market from an SEO standpoint. We do a lot of SEO. We do um, a certain amount of social media. Um, and uh, we're lucky where we get a very steady stream of inquiries coming not, off, not only off the website but also through our toll-free number in the U.S. where we do a little bit of radio advertising, a little bit of print advertising and things like that that as well but ultimately uh, a very large majority of um, you know lead to client conversion comes from the online activities that we do and early on was it because like, before you had this team yeah. of three and you had this online presence because i'm assuming you would have had to build up your seo over time and build oh up yeah your social yeah media. and when it came yeah. time to do radio you'd have had to go and find some services in the states to handle that for you um what was like, how did this progress? Where did you start? Well, we started off, I mean, we had a website before the company even opened its doors. There was a website up and running. Um, and it's quite funny, actually, whilst I was in Miami for, you know, that, that, that last trip over there before coming back and starting the company here, our website was already live. And, uh, you know, I, I jumped on the uh, what's the quickest way to get to the top of, you know, Google and everything. And back in them days, and we were back in them days, we talked like it's 20 years ago, but, you know, five, five six years ago, you know, I, I discovered um, through reading, you know, websites and stuff that writing a press release was a great way to get to the top of Google or, or Yahoo, even if it was just temporarily, to get your name out there because the search engines liked the fresh new content. And so that's exactly what I did. I wrote um, one press release. I distributed it to, I don't know, whatever it was, five or six different sites. We got a little traffic. We had a couple of inquiries, believe it or not, before I even got back to the Philippines to open the doors of the building. So it just, yeah, no, no, and that is absolutely no bullshit. I swear that's God's honest because I was in Miami calling people up, you know, looking at, you know, trying to work those leads myself as I was on the same time zone before I even got back to the Philippines. And one of the guys that I called didn't become a client immediately, but he did about a year later. So before we were even up and running, I'd closed the client who ended up working with us a year later. <laughs> but, uh, Amazing. Yeah. 
it's it's funny stuff. But even myself also, I used to pick up. You know, sometimes I'd be browsing the website. This is probably the first year or so I'd be browsing a website, come across a site, look at it, and think to myself, could they outsource ABC XYZ? Probably. And I just pick up the phone and cold call them, just pitch them, out of the blue. Now you're obviously experienced at doing that, given your background. Yeah. Is that just the case of like, how do you get to the the important person you need to speak to when you when you do something <laughs> like that? You know, a lot of the time people try tricks and tactics and stuff like that. But a lot of the time, if you're just very direct, it'll work because you know back in back in those days we were also calling on fundamentally small businesses. Now we don't work with so many small businesses. We now tend to work with people that sort of need 10 or 15 people as a minimum, which is very much the medium-sized companies in the U.S. So but back in them days, you know, we'd work with somebody that wanted one telemarketer or two or three or four or whatever. So, you know, I used to just get on the phone, and if there was a gatekeeper there, if there was a secretary or receptionist or whatever, nine times out of ten, there wasn't because in the U.S., people who own companies and run companies also pick up the telephone themselves as well. So I was lucky. A lot of the time I'd get the decision maker on the phone straight away. Mm. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time people try tricks and stuff. It really doesn't work that often. And you should just be very blunt. Hey, you know, I'm calling from blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we do this, this, and this. And I'm pretty sure. This morning or after lunch, you know, that sort of thing. They can't say no. They've got to say one or the other. So that's the option close. I used to use that to great effect. <laughs> Chris, can you just repeat that option close? Because it cut out just as you're about to explain it. Okay, so the option close is very simple. You've got either an appointment you want to make with someone or you want to get in front of someone or send something through to somebody. If you're on the phone to somebody and you don't want to get a no from them, one way to avoid that no, and as telemarketers, we always want to do that. So one way to avoid that no is to turn around and say, so what would, when would be a better time for me to be able to call you back and discuss that with you, Mike? Would it be uh, tomorrow morning before lunch or maybe in the afternoon? What's best for you? So they've got to say before or after lunch. They can't say no. You're not giving them a chance to say no. That's the option close. You're so evil. <laughs> Come on, man, it works. And it's, it's not like I'm bullying people. <laughs> uh, psychological marketing tactics, as usual. <laughs> something, like, something like that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know it, it, it all comes down to just, you know, and, and genuinely, everything I, 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 I said is true. We can help people with their marketing costs and, and things like that. And a lot of the clients that we work with have started with, you know, only two or three employees with us, and they now, you know, have 25, 30 people, a few of them. So, you know, they've grown their businesses at the same time as we've grown ours. And that's why I always say I don't look at what we do with our clients as a vendor-client relationship. I look at it as a business partnership because if we do a good job for them, they'll be happy, they'll grow, and they'll put more business our way. So it's really that simple. Okay, so, you know, you've, you've grown your company, you've got some marketing going out there, bring in new clients. You can hire people as soon as you get the client. So it's almost like a no risk. Well, there's a risk, but you certainly don't have a cash flow issue because you hire once the cash is there, which is fantastic. You grow your company. You reach a point where you've got systems in place. You've got a COO now doing the operations daily. Um, I'm assuming that was a fairly big change as well to make the decision to bring that person on board. 
Can you maybe tell yeah. me a little bit about that point where you thought, you know what, um, I no longer need or maybe want to be involved in the daily operations um, or maybe just break it down how you extracted yourself from <clears throat> the business so you could start these other products you've got. Sure. Well, in in late 2009, my wife gave birth to um, our third kid and uh, there was a pretty big gap in between the second and the third, about 10 years to be precise. So the first obvious, um, you know, reaction was, oh, holy cow, it still works, you know. <laughs> um, how did this happen? You know, this was a result of a good night out. What's going on here, you know? So that, that was the first reaction. But the other reaction was that, you know, at that point I was still kind of, you know, I was still very much still growing the business a few years back and um, still doing a lot of it myself. And so what happened was within, that, within the, you know, the first year of my, of my uh, youngest's uh, life, I had, uh, even though I had taken my foot off the gas a little bit and was spending a little bit more time at home, I wasn't spending that much more time at home. And I was so busy with my career with the first two. Um, and, and when I say the first two, I do apologize. I'm now married for the second time. So, you know, hence the fact that I've got a youngie now and the other two are slightly older. But um, fact of the matter is, is that I decided that I wanted to be there more often with my with my third child and who is now three. Okay, then, and so just clarify, Chris, the, the first two with your first wife. Correct. Then they're in England. They are based out of the UK, but they, they also come to the Philippines several times a year to see me as well. Gotcha. So when you said you were growing your business, you were also, were you traveling back to the UK to visit your kids? And of course, so you're of course. juggling all of this at the same time. So you must've, oh, yeah. you must've been thinking, how can I do less very early on as the company started to grow? Oh yeah. And I mean, even before, the, I started up the company. I was still going backwards and forwards between the UK and having them come to the Philippines regularly and everything as well. So there was always a big juggle there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it come you know beginning of actually it was the end of two thousand and nine, where my son had just hit his first birthday, and um, we I, I sat down and I said, right, I can't do these twelve hour days anymore. This isn't right. We've got to the point where the company is doing relatively well. I need to start moving myself out of it bit by bit. And that's when I launched my blog, Virtual Business Lifestyle. And when I launched the blog, I launched it with the view of having it almost as a bit of a online journal so I could chart my course to becoming what is now the virtual CEO. So it was going to be a one-year-long goal, and I broke that goal down into mini goals. Uh, Some of them were monthly, some of them were quarterly, and it was simple stuff like taking myself out of every single email loop in the company, um, you know, uh, uh, not doing the training myself anymore, hiring another person or another two people to do that, um, not doing the final interviews anymore, hiring a HR manager to do that. And I had to relinquish a lot of, I guess, for, for want of a better term, control over the day-to-day stuff. And as entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're naturally, I think, we're naturally micromanagers. We have what I call superhero syndrome, where we think we can do everything better than anyone else in the entire universe. Um, and so it was but tough. But yeah, <laughs> of course you can. Of course you can. But I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to get out. I wanted to spend more time with my family. I wanted to spend more time focusing on what I really enjoyed doing which was starting and growing businesses and not running businesses. And that's what I've done. So in, in, you know, in late 2010, I hit that goal, the whole of 2011. In fact, late 2010, I began 
um, uh, Virtual Staff Finder. Uh, and then at the end of um, 2011, I began Your Web PA. So I've launched two businesses in around about a year, plus carrying on running uh, Lift to Sell. But, you know, Lift, Lift to Sell, I work maybe two or three hours a week on Lift to Sell now. Like I said, my COO um, is fundamentally running the company. I found him after a year-long search. I ended up flying to the United States and doing uh, whilst on a business trip and doing interviews with about five or six candidates that I'd met, the majority of which were through LinkedIn. Um, and he came to us with 15 years call center management experience, who was a little older than I wanted to hire. He was in his mid-50s, but he certainly had the experience and he had the passion and he had the drive. And he's been with us now for about a year and he's great. And, you know, we continue to uh, grow slowly but surely. It, it, I've been very lucky. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, class everything to nothing but hard work i class the majority of it there but i know that um a lot of the things that have happened particularly in the last 18 months have happened with an element of luck involved but that's fine i'll take luck any day i I don't mind that yeah well it sounds like uh something that i know a lot of people especially if they currently run a small to medium-sized business and they want to extract themselves that process doesn't sound like it was quick by any means there's a lot of things you need to take yourself out of the loop as you said from which is challenging a lot of people never get to do it either until they unless they sell their business they're always involved with it somehow can you maybe like think what was the hardest part of this process and what would you maybe be able to do better now that you've actually gone through it if, if you were talking to someone who was about to start the process one thing i would have done was start a blog sooner and i'm serious when i say that because having virtualbusinesslifestyle.com has enabled me to put a face to the businesses. And I think people want to do business with people. In fact, I know they do. Uh, They would much rather buy something from somebody they know than buy from somebody they don't know. So, and, and I don't pitch anything on virtual business lifestyle as a blog. Um, I mean, obviously I talk about my businesses here and there, but on the whole, I'm just talking about, you know, how to do this and how to do that most of the time. Um, but I know full well that there have been number of people, particularly with Virtual uh, Starfinder and Your Web PA, with those two slightly newer companies, which are slightly more online-based, there is absolutely no way in the world that they would have been or they have got to and hopefully will continue to be as successful as they have if I hadn't have had my blog and that personal brand in place online. And I wish, I wish, I wish that I started my blog two, three years earlier because I feel that I would have been at a whole different level, not just as an entrepreneur, but also as a personal brand myself as well because I'm now known you know, as the outsourcing guy online, the virtual assistant guru, the blah, 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 blah. And if I'd have done that three, four years you know, earlier, I would have beat Tim Ferriss to the whole virtual assistant thing. Right. I'm telling you, I was, I, was, I was hooking entrepreneurs up with virtual assistants before the four-hour work week was even published. So, you know, it's not like they were new. It's not like Tim created this huge industry. It was already in place. How do you think he found them, mm-hmm. you know? So that, that's, that's the thing I kick myself for is I wish I started a blog sooner. Now, if the person, though, wasn't interested in actually building a brand as a, you know, um, I'm – you know, they don't want to teach other people how to do what they do necessarily. So they might be thinking, why should I start a blog? Right. I'm thinking perhaps the accountability is, is beneficial um, to talk about. You know, let's say I own a, uh, you know, even like a car, used car sales 
person, you're thinking about how they can extract themselves from being the used car salesman, would starting a blog be something they necessary <laughs> to do? Or what would, is there anything else you could maybe tell them, you think, if, you know, just for extracting yourself from a, a small to medium-sized company? Well, I think if you're the owner of the company, the biggest problem you're going to be is letting go of the reins. Um, and I think that you know, particularly what worked well for me within that one year where I wanted to, you know, try and remove myself from the day-to-day side of things. I broke, like I said, I broke things down to smaller goals uh, or smaller milestones where it didn't feel at the time when I was going and achieving each of those milestones, it didn't feel like I was letting go of my baby all at once. It was just bit by bit. Um, and that certainly worked for me, and I'm sure it's probably worked for a few other people out there as well, no doubt. So, I mean, yeah, you know, if you've got a small to medium-sized business and you're looking to try and, you know, extract and remove yourself from it from a day-to-day basis, I think, you, you know, the first thing you should really do is sit down and make a list of the stuff that you just don't like to do because in this day and age, you don't need to do it. You know, whether you have to hire someone and lose a little bit of profit margin to get that off your plate, just do it. Because you'll find that if you have more time on your hands to do the stuff that you do enjoy, not only will your business succeed even further, but you'll also be a much happier entrepreneur yourself, which will enable you to, you know, get yourself out there more often, start new things and, you know, just see the world a little bit more. So I think breaking things down into smaller, kind of maybe slightly more manageable and easier goals to not only attain, but then also to kind of let go of um, is probably a good, a good starting point. Okay, so you managed to extract yourself, and you're obviously part of the reason why I was to be with your family, but you also felt the need as an entrepreneur to be a creator, not just an operator, in the sense that you built a business, now you want to do new businesses. You sounds like you stayed within the virtual you know, outsourcing kind of field, and you, you wanted to help other online entrepreneurs bring outsources into their business to free up their time. Uh, is this just something that you're really interested in and you like working in? I love it. I think it's a great industry. I think it's a great concept of being able to leverage your time as a business owner. And I think that, you know, through books like The 4-Hour Work Week, which is a great book, you know, it, it, these kind of, um, these kind of you know, books and manifestos and things like that are, that are out there, I think the new age entrepreneur, as I tend to call them more and more nowadays, are slightly more less resilient um, to be 100% in control of everything. They're quite happy to let other people take the reins on certain processes within their business. Um, and, I mean, it's just great for me personally, you know, when I receive an email, and you must know what this feels like. You know, you get an email from someone who says, just listen to podcast episode X. Fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed it. You've totally made me, you know, start to think about the way that I'm doing things in my own business. I just wanted to say thanks for everything you do. Those kind of emails right there. I mean, if that doesn't get you going and turned on as a podcaster or a blogger, then there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? And for me, the ability to be able to help someone not only grow their business, but as well as, you know, kind of almost create a uh, you know, an entrepreneurial lifestyle that they truly, really do love to live. For me, I get way, way more pleasure out of that than I do by, you know, adding another 30 employees. That's a fact. Um, I'll take the 30 employees all day long, but, uh, <laughs> and the profits that come with them. But ultimately, I, I really enjoy the stuff that I do online with the other companies and the blog and things like that. That's, that's really where my, uh, 
you know, where my passion is now uh, as an entrepreneur. Can, can you break them down? Like what, what happened? Uh, you, you separate yourself from your outsourcing business, your 300 employee business. So you, uh, did you just go home and play with your kid or did you build a website for a new service straight away? Like what happened to, to set up these new services? Well, I mean, like I said, I, I started the blog, which was really the catalyst for it all. And, you know, again, I wanted to set that up as a journal of sorts. Uh, but I started to get more and more traction. And, you know, people were interviewing me about the whole virtual CEO goal and stuff. So I was lucky to get some different traffic and, you know, links on some pretty prominent blogs and things like that. And then people wanted to know more. How do I do this? How do I you know, remove myself from being stuck in my inbox six hours a day, Chris, because you've done it. Tell us how. So I write a post on how to kick the crap out of your inbox. It's one of the most successful posts I've done. Um, You know, how do I start a niche site for the first time? I've never done it. You've never done it until you did it six, seven months ago. Can you break that down and show us how you did it? Sure, no problem. So there goes my, you know, second 200 plus comment blog post. So it's enabled me to really kind of build up that, not necessarily a personal brand, but a a brand in relation to being just savvy in regards to business in general. And then you, you know, you kind of couple that together and attach that with the outsourcing background and the marketing background that I have. And I've just been very blessed to be able to put together a couple of really cool services that people obviously enjoy utilizing. Um, And again, if I can help people along the way for me, that's just a bonus. Am I doing it to make money? Absolutely. First and foremost, I'm a business guy. I always say I'm a businessman first, a blogger second, and that will never, ever change. I do everything I do to make money, but I do it with the view of wanting to help people at the same time. So give us a breakdown of what you've been mentioning them throughout this interview. You've got uh, virtualbusinesslifestyle.com, the blog. Yep, uh, and it also has the accompanying podcast, which is uh, at episode 50. You're going to be episode 51. Mm-hmm. So uh, there you go. Um, virtualstarfinder.com is the matchmaking service for entrepreneurs that want to work with home-based virtual assistants here in the Philippines. And uh, we've just celebrated placing our 400th VA uh, through that service, which is a massive, massive milestone as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, then we have yourwebpa.com, which is the uh, you know, project-based outsourcing. If you need a site designed or some articles written, ebook design, that sort of stuff. Okay, so all fantastic websites. I think for the people listening to this call, like, they would be very much interested in everything you just talked about. Certainly, how you've separated yourself from your business, but also how they could get themselves a, a virtual assistant and um, outsourcing some of those other tasks as well. So. It's, it's a hot subject. Uh, Tim Ferriss is certainly to blame for popularizing it. And, uh, <laughs> he is. <laughs> and actually, when I, when I spoke at Blog World in L.A. last year uh, on the subject of working with virtual assistants, the first slide of my presentation was a picture of a beach, and the slide had, thank you, Tim, written on it. <laughs> Um, and uh, I, I give a massive amount of respect to Tim Ferriss for what he's done, not only for this industry but for entrepreneurs all around the world. He's got them very much thinking outside of the box, you know, to use a little bit of business speak. Um, and uh, a massively popular, very successful book, and obviously for very, very good reasons. Um, but, yeah, he's, he certainly has helped people along the way, that's for sure. But, yeah, we'll, bl- we'll blame him for everything. <laughs> we should. I have to admit, I was a bit surprised. Uh, I think Tim was also surprised at how, how popular the 4-Hour Workweek has become 
I think he was expecting a, a successful book, but not to the extent that he, he certainly yeah. had. So he certainly hit a need that uh, a lot of us probably didn't realize we had until it was presented in such a concise uh, manual like that. And obviously people have been living it before Tim wrote about it. Like you said, you, you know, you've been doing it. I certainly was doing it before Tim had done it and with his book. But uh, yeah, he brought it into the limelight, which is great for you because you've got some businesses that help people to lead to that lifestyle. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. Chris, Absolutely. A, go, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, so Tim, if you're listening in, thank you. Yes, <laughs> there's an interview with Tim in my podcast if you want to grab that from the archives. There uh, sure is. I've listened to it already, buddy. I listened to it a while back. <laughs> well, everyone else listening can have a, a listen to it. That was done a while ago too. So it's just after his book came out. Uh, but Chris, we're focusing on you now. So um, let's wrap it up. Where are you today? Like you're, you're obviously interested in growing these businesses still and you're uh, telemarketing outsourcing service, which you haven't mentioned the name of yet. We should plug that quickly too, in case people do want a, a telemarketing outsourced service. What's that called? Well, that is, that is, that is literally the live to sell group. So they can get that at live and then the number two sell group.com. Okay. So, Oh, and actually also something pops into my head, depending on whether this is, going to be going live at any time soon but in about uh two weeks from now i will actually be launching a new blog and a new podcast which is outsource to the philippines.com it's not live right now there's just a, a, a squeeze page up there right now but that is going to be the blog where i talk about nothing but outsourcing for entrepreneurs and business owners. So if there's anybody out there that might want to just kind of tune in purely just for the outsourcing stuff, it's outsourced to the philippines.com. That will kick off soon. I have to admit the Philippines is a hot topic in terms of outsourcing. Uh, I've noticed that probably the last year. It's just yeah. where everyone recommends and everyone's going. And I, I guess we should just briefly before we hang up this call, Chris, why is that? Uh, what's with the Philippines? I think, it's, I think it's a combination of two things. First and foremost, you know, the Philippines is actually the third largest English-speaking country in the world. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, um, the they have, um, I, I think it's, it's got to be what the U.S. and, I don't know, Canada, I guess. Mm, I don't know. The U.K. has got more people. Well, U.K. has got to, yeah, but I mean, geographically, I guess Canada's bigger than the U.K., I guess, right? But anyway, I mean, population numbers to one side. I don't really know why the statistics are there. It is what it is. Um, but they are all educated literally from elementary level um, in English. And everywhere you go, there's this real kind of Western Americanization to the country. Um, and, you know, you've got lots of little strip malls everywhere, just like they do in the U.S. And you go to like a multiplex cinema, there'll be 20 screens and 18 of them will be Hollywood movies. And two, the other two will have some cheesy local comedies or action flicks or something on there. You know, um, there's an American flag on the 100 Philippine peso bill. So, you know, it, it's really westernized. The English that they speak here in the Philippines is very American twangy kind of sounding, um, which is why it's such a hot spot for voice outsourcing. Um, and that's the first thing. The second thing is because I believe that because of the global economy being the way it is today, people are starting to look to outsource more and more and more. And in regards to English speaking itself, there's only really India and the Philippines to choose from. And I don't know about you, and I please me, I mean absolutely no disrespect to any Indians listening in, 
but I would much rather listen to an American twang Filipino English accent than I would do a more kind of strict monotone Indian English accent because I've also been called by Indian telemarketers in the past myself and they just they just don't sound as fluent as you would want them to sound if somebody was trying to call you to sell you something so you know that that's it really is the destination of choice mainly because of the 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 you know the english structure and also the communications here is very very good i mean we've got we've got t1 and e1's line e1 lines up the yin yang over here so it's it's you know if you spend the money you can get everything you need to be able to make the you know the business happen now why is the philippines i guess a cheap place to outsource to still because you know we're looking at five hundred dollars uh a month for a full-time employee that that sort of wage is quite mm-hmm. typical right yep 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 i mean it just cost of living here hasn't changed it hasn't got any more expensive um you know the the maybe for people like myself who are foreigners that are living here that were you know 10 11 years ago getting 55 pesos to the to the dollar who are now getting 43 pesos to the dollar yeah we hurt a little bit um but in terms of the locals hasn't really changed hasn't really changed at all. Um, and it's just, it's a devel- it is still a developing country. And with that comes obviously a certain amount of poverty. And because of that, things are cheap. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, the prices for hiring virtual staff, particularly home-based VAs, has increased a little bit over the last couple of years. Not a lot, maybe 10, 15% max. But the only reason they've increased is not because the cost of living has increased here and the, and, the, and the Filipino VAs need to offset that difference. It's increased because the Filipino VAs are getting smarter. They know that people want to outsource to the Philippines and therefore they're charging a little bit more than what they did a couple of years ago. So good luck to them. That's what I say. <laughs> and do you see a point, though, where the Philippines will develop so that there isn't – I guess, a benefit to outsource? Like they'll be on, on parity with, with the American dollar? It's going to be tough. I, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. No, it, it'll be tough. Okay. Well, it's a political discussion we can have another day anyway, I think. Probably <laughs> so, is. Probably. That's another hour, that is, at yeah, least. It's, true. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting debate that's been – ever since outsourcing came along, there's always been that sort of are we exploiting people? But there's a massive article on my blog people can jump into with over – I think it's like 500 comments. It's just oh, out yeah. of control. Um, but I want to thank you because this has been a very interesting uh, interview because of your background, the, the, the path you've walked with um, your entrepreneurial story. I think uh, in particular your, your process to extract yourself from your business is something that a lot of people would like to learn about. So I certainly encourage people to go check out the virtualbusinesslifestyle.com blog. I'm, I, that sounds like it's your oldest blog that sort of tells the story um, from the beginning, certainly as you were chronicling your own process to separate yourself from your company. So um, I think everyone should check that out and they'll enjoy it. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what else you get up to um, with, this, with this free time and obviously your dedication to spreading the word about outsourcing. So uh, thanks, Chris. Thank you, Yara. It was a pleasure to be on and uh, been a big-time listener and fan of yourself. So it's a, a real honor. And for anyone listening in, if you'd like to grab more interviews like this one we just did with Chris, there's a a great back catalog of interviews with entrepreneurs and internet marketers at my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com, or just Google Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, and you'll find it that way. And uh, I'd like to thank Chris again for joining me on the call, and I'll catch everyone soon on a future call. Bye-bye.